thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through his word. Thy praise confess, yea, of thy word, yea, my tongue would sing, yea, I confess, yea, I confess, for thy commands are righteousness. Well, greetings this Lord's Day. Of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. God is so good to us, as we sang there. He has done great things. You know, many of the great things that God has done, we don't even notice. We don't even remember or even think of. I was in Myanmar uh, a few years back, and I met a man who was injured by a kind of a, a a gang of rough kids, and they broke his leg. And for 15 years, the man was crippled because there was no doctor to set the bone in his leg, and he was crippled. He eventually did find a doctor 15 years later, and they rebroke his leg, and now he walks just like you and me. And you may say, what does that have to do with you? Well, my son broke his leg last week, last Sunday, right? And you know what? God has blessed us with hospitals with hundreds of millions of dollars of technology who are on hand, ambulance drivers to show up, people with medical expertise to take care of that situation, and all of it honestly really at even no trouble to me. Isn't that an amazing thing? Fifteen years a man suffered because he didn't have a doctor. And we have so many doctors around us that the idea of even suffering like that in the world that we live in is impossible. In fact, we would think it would be unjust, right? Yet there are people around the world who go without good health care. They go without the things that we take for granted every single day. The psalmist tells us in our call to worship, I picked Psalm 18 because of several things that it said, but Psalm 18 is really, really long. And so I have taken a few selections from Psalm 18 as our call to worship. Psalm 18 says this, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. Everybody say, the Lord is my rock. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. He is my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon thee, Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and so shall I be saved from mine enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me. The floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about, and the snares of death prevented me. In my distress, though, I called on who? I called upon the Lord, and I cried unto my God, and he heard me out of his holy temple. And my cry came before him, even 
to his ears. Can we be thankful today that God hears our prayers? Amen? Then the earth shook and trembled and the foundations and the hills were moved and shaken because he was angry. Isn't that amazing? The psalmist prayed and God got mad and the earth started to shake. Did you ever think about your prayers affecting God? Then went up smoke out of his nostrils, fire out of his mouth, devoured. Coals were kindled by it and he bowed the heavens also and they came down and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon the cherub, and he did fly, yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place, and his pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. And the brightness that was before him, the thick clouds passed, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice, and hailstones and coals of fire. Yea, he sent out his arrows, he scattered them, he shot out lightnings and discomfited them. Then the channels of water were seen and the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke, O Lord, the blast and the breath of thy nostrils. You might say, what is being described here? The psalmist here, which could have been David, found himself needing help from God. He was surrounded by an army and what did God do? He prayed and God sent a storm and a flood and lightning and giant hailstones. That's recorded right in the scripture. The Bible said giant hailstones came down and destroyed God's enemies. He sent from above. He took me. He drew out many waters. He delivered me from the strong enemy and from those that hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Do you know God loves you? He hears your prayers. He delights in you. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also upright before him and I kept myself from iniquity. Therefore the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful and with the upright thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure thou wilt show thyself pure, and with the forward thou shalt show thyself forward. For thou wilt save the afflicted people, but will bring down high looks. For thou wilt light my candle, the Lord God will enlighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God I have leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect, the word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to those that trust in him. For who is God, save the Lord, and who is a rock? Save our God. Say, who is a rock? Save our God. The Lord liveth and blessed be my rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God that avengeth me and subdueth the people under me. He delivereth me from my enemies. Yea, thou lifteth me above those that rise up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks. Everybody say, I will give thanks. I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and I will sing praises to thy name. That's what we're going to be talking about today, about hearts filled with thanksgiving and praise for the great God who hears our prayers and for who visits his people. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the song of the psalmist here, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for this encouragement that in the time of trouble, you will hide us, Lord. You will set our feet upon a rock. Lord, you will be with us, Lord, though 
enemies encamp about us, Lord, though even our father and our mother forsake thee, Lord, you said you will set us up upon the rock, which is you. Lord, today we come before you hoping to hear your voice, hoping to be changed by it as the world was changed at the speaking of your voice. As you said, let there be light, and light was. We pray today that you would say, let this people be holy. Let them be filled with your spirit. Let them be a people uh, after my name. Let them be my children. Lord, we want to be that today. And today we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would wash us and cleanse us from our sins and that you would draw us nearer to you today. In the name of Almighty God, we pray. In Christ's name, the people said, Amen. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Remain standing for just a little bit here. As I read for you my text from Psalm 95, as has been our tradition for more than 95 weeks. Isn't that incredible? Uh, we have been in one psalm a week for 95 weeks uh, or more. And so Psalm 95, I'm going to read the first six verses, but I will preach all of this 11-verse psalm. Psalm 95, 1 says this, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it. And the hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down and let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Wow. And those are some exciting words. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We pray that it would be the fuel, Lord God, that propels us into our future. Lord, that we would see your word and it would inspire us to action. Lord, that it would direct us, Lord, to our trajectory. Lord, I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts and change us by your word today. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. So what are we supposed to be doing with this new, wonderful, grace-filled life that God has given us? Well, this psalm is kind of a, let's do this, okay? The first six verses of Psalm 95 sing a song of instruction to godly actions. Let us do this. Let us be this way. Let us acknowledge this. Let us sing. Let us give thanks. Let us bow down and kneel before the rock of our salvation, the Lord, our Maker. Just saying these words gets me excited and I start thinking of other, other psalms like it. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands, and serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. 
be thankful unto him and bless his name. You ever just think these words? You ever just walk through your life and you'll just be like, oh, it is he that has made us, not we ourselves. Let us come before him with singing and praise. Does your heart ever think thoughts like that? I hope they do. We know that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. As James 1.25 tells us, this, what you have just heard in Psalm 95 here, is what we are supposed to be doing. We're to be doers of the word. And Psalm 95 gives us a bunch of things that we can do. Living for God and worshiping His holy name is not principally about what we don't do. It's about what we do. A tree is known by the fruit it bears, not by the fruit it doesn't bear. You don't look at a tree and go, oh, that's not an orange tree. Because you see apples on it, you say, it is an apple tree because of what? The apples that we find growing on it. Yes, there are things that we are not to do, and, but that's not the substance of God's commands. Praise, thanksgiving, singing, and joy are some of the fruits and good works of a heart filled with with the Holy Ghost. The life of Christ was summarized in this way by Peter in the house of Cornelius the centurion. He said that Jesus went about doing good. Everybody say doing good. It wasn't that Jesus went about not doing good. It was that Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him and we are witnesses of the things which he did. You could look at his life and think about all the bad things he didn't do, but that's not how it was characterized. John the Beloved's gospel tells us of Jesus this in the very last words of the gospel. And there are many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose even the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. Books and books could be written about what Jesus did because he was always doing good. He was healing the oppressed. He was delivering those that were in darkness. He was visiting those that needed uh, repentance. And he would come to their house and he would say, Salvation is come to your house today. Amen? It wasn't only that he did not live an evil life, but his life was filled with how he who was rich did what? He impoverished himself so that others could be rich. It was also how he that was full emptied himself that others might be full. It wasn't that he just did not disobey God's law. It's that he obeyed it perfectly. My question for you today is this. What is your life given to? What are you doing with the hours and minutes and days that God has given you? Is your life defined by where you don't go and words that you don't say and things that you don't do? Or is it truly defined by what it is that you do? You see, sin is any transgression against the law of God, but it's also any want of conformity unto it. We are to do the things that God's word says to do. That is the life of Christ. Jesus was, as it said, he would be, In Isaiah 53, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But I believe Jesus was a singer of praise. We don't oftentimes think of Jesus being a joyful singer, do we? We don't think of that. We don't read about it. But I can tell you right now, he was. And you might say, well, that's awful presumptuous of you, Pastor Mark, to know. No, no, it's not. 
I read the Psalms. And when I read the Psalms, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. When it says, Sing and make a joyful noise unto the Lord, I know that Jesus knew these Psalms and He lived them out. Amen? He was a liver out of God's Word. And I guarantee you that the joyful noise that the psalmist speaks of here came out of the mouth of Jesus. He was a never-ending spring of joy and song. And I know this because the Psalms declare that it is what we should be and what we know that Christ did not fall short of, but he excelled in obedience to all of God's words. And I'll ask you this question, how would someone describe your life? What would it be? Would your life be just, oh, they're the people that don't do this and they're the people that don't go there and they're the people that don't participate in this and they're the people that don't participate in that. These are the people that believe this or the people that believe that. Is that what is said about you? Or do they go, these are the people that love people. These are the people that are kind to their neighbors. These are the people who look after others. What is it said of you? We often think of the Ten Commandments in terms of what we're not supposed to do. We're not to kill, to steal, to bear false witness, to participate in sexual sin, to covet, but that is not the first chord struck in the song of the law. No, indeed, but before we are told what not to do, we are directed what? What we must do. Jesus, Paul, and John all said that if we did what God's Word said that we should be doing, we'd never end up doing the things it says not to do for all the law Galatians 5 14 Paul addresses the Galatians here for all the law is fulfilled in one word even in this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself you know loving your neighbor as yourself is not something brother Chris that happens in your heart it's something that happens when you go over and you see that your neighbor has a need when you find out that they have a sorrow or a hurt or they have a burden and you lift it and you carry it and you help it. Galatians 6 tells us that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And we are also to bear our own burden. So how are you and I today loving our neighbors? Deuteronomy 6 tells us the great commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all of thy might. And as Jesus explained it further, love your neighbor as yourself in Matthew 22, 39 through 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You want to be one who obeys the law. You want to be one who lives the way that God would be pleased by. It's not about what you're not doing as much as it is and what it is primarily about what it is that you do. So as we come to Psalm 95 in volume 4 of the Psalms, we are clearly shown several things that we should be doing. Because you might be saying, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, Psalm 95 isn't everything we're supposed to do, but it certainly tells us something and many things that we should be doing. Psalm 95 is also a do this and don't do this passage. The second half of the Psalm, which I did not read at the beginning, is the most clearly explained passage from the Psalms and maybe even from the Old Testament. Paul, the accepted writer of Hebrews, spends two entire chapters explaining the perils of our sin and flesh that constantly try to eclipse the light of God's instructions for our attitudes and our actions. 
So we'll talk about it today too, but it seemed that God would have us spend more time today learning about what we should be doing and what we could be doing than what we should not. Is that going to be all right? I hope so, because that's what you're going to get. My wife put a little handkerchief, and you know, I don't use this, but I'm, there's a reminiscence happening here about some good old days uh, in, the, in, the, in the hanky. Um, there is no inspired heading on Psalm 95 uh, as we have on many other psalms. And so we don't really know who wrote it or what the events may have inspired it as we do for so many others. But the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7, does say that of this psalm that it is, quote, in David. And so this could simply be referring to the book of Psalms, since David is known to have written at least half of them, or it could be that it was one of the many that were actually penned by this man after God's own heart. We may not have an inspired heading, but within the psalm there is referenced a very significant historical event, one that all of Israel was very familiar with, and uh, they did not miss the meaning here. You might miss it. Uh, because you may not know what it's talking about at all, but we're going to talk about that as well. The entire second half of the psalm refers to two similar events in the story of Exodus of the children of Israel as they were coming out of Egypt into the promised land. And in this example set forth by the prophet, we are told what we should not do and what we should not be after the six verses that start the psalm tell us what we should be. Does that make sense? We have six verses telling us what we should be and what we should do. And the last half is telling us what we should not be and what we should not do. We're going to focus on what we should do today. Let's do this, the psalm says, not do that thing that Israel did. So let's jump into verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord and let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Here there is a call to action for the faithful of God's house to come together to gather corporately to worship. You might have missed this. It just sounds like a let us, but there is not a let me. This is not about God is my personal savior and he is my personal Lord. This is about corporate worship, which the Psalms was written for. It was to remind us that uh, when we come together, that we are to remember that God has made a covenant people. That we are reminded that as a covenant people, the body, the church, a collection of people who have lost themselves in the whole loaf and become the bread of life for a dying world, that we, the people of God, fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, as Ephesians 2.19 says, we as the body of Christ conquering his enemies, casting them down beneath his feet, we come together to proclaim his kingdom. There is a we that comes together here, not simply a me. He is our king, and we are God's kingdom come, and his will done on earth as it is in heaven. Oftentimes we live in a world where, you know, you can have it your way at McDonald's, and you deserve a break today, or whatever it is, and, and the whole world is about every little particular thing that you want and how you want it and what your preferences are. And church can become that as well. But that is not what the church of Jesus Christ is. The Bible said he that will save his life should do what? 
He should lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake will find it. The church is where we come to lose our lives and lose our own individual identities. And we find ourselves melted into the body of Christ. And it is how we indeed become the hands and feet of God in the world. It doesn't just happen through you by yourself. Jesus said he came to build the church that through his bride, spiritual seed would fill the earth as the knowledge of the Lord covers the earth. This is who we are, and it may seem insignificant to you, but not, God, that we are come together to sing. We are come together to praise His name. And if we don't, and if we don't, the very rocks will cry out. Praise is comely, the Bible says. It is beautiful, and it is worthy of our effort. This is one of the ways that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our minds, our, our strength. We sing. You might say, well, that doesn't really sound like it's really very much i'm sure the children of israel when they walked around jericho didn't think that their shout was going to matter a whole lot as they walked around jericho what are we doing well we're going to be real quiet and we're just going to walk around it well that doesn't seem very powerful where's our where are our siege tools where are uh implements of battle where you're just going to walk around the, the walls of jericho and you're going to walk around real slow and you're not going to say anything you're going to be real quiet and at the end you're going to shout. I, I guarantee you that when they shouted, they weren't imagining that somehow the great reverberance of their voice was going to affect walls that were so thick that chariots could race on top of them. Amen? And it certainly was not the sound of their shout that did it. It was the obedience to God. Great is the Lord and worthy of glory. Great are you, Lord, and worthy of praise. Great are you, Lord. We lift up your voice. Great is the Lord. How many of you have uttered words like that? Do you walk around your house? Do you spend your time in the world? You could be going, what a bad world we live in. They're all out to get us. They're trying to uh, affect us. They're trying to make us do this and make us do this. And they're making our life miserable. You can spend your life complaining about it. You can spend your life paranoid about what they might do next. Or we could spend our life thanking and praising the God who has put us right here, right now as he did Esther for such a time as this. Our life is not about what they are doing to us. They've always done dumb things to us. They've always tried to force us into their will, to conform us into their image. They've always tried to, uh, in many ways, mask us or vax us or whatever it is that they want to do. But you know what they do isn't quite that important. Amen? God is great and he is greatly to be praised in the city of our God and on the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. There is something that makes the world seem small when we lift up the mighty name of Jesus. When we're lifting up his name and when we're praising his goodness and we're giving thanks for what he has done, it seems that the things of this world become strangely dim. What they do to us seems strangely unimportant. They've always tried to harm us and control us, and they've always tried to affect our lives, but we know this. And I remember preaching this one time at the women's prison in downtown Columbus. Sister Kim, I preached the message. You know what the title of my message was? I have the keys to your freedom. That's what I preached at the women's prison downtown. I looked at the prison guards that were carrying machine guns and or when they didn't have machine guns, they had sawed-off shotguns, and, and, and they were walking around, and they were on the edges, and they were a little bit scared, and the general population in there they were, 
And I said, these guards that, that they're going home at the end of the day, they're no more free than, than you in here today if they don't know Christ. You see, even the relative uh, idea of our own freedom, we want to be free. Yeah, the truckers in Canada, yeah, they want to be free. They're blocking up bridges for their freedom. But how many people today are praising God for the freedom that we have in Christ? Because God's Word tells us that the freedom we have in Christ isn't to do what we want, but it is to serve one another in love. That's what freedom is all about. And you can take away the freedom of people as they have with Pastor Nang over there in Myanmar. They're blowing up buildings. They have snipers. They're killing them. They're telling them they're burning their churches. And you know what? Pastor Nang says, you know what I'm free to do? He goes out and he buys a pig and he, and he kills the pig and he cooks the pig and he serves it to the people. And while the people are eating the pig, he tells them about the bread of life. That's what Pastor Nang, you know, he could be hunkered up in his home. He could be scared and worried, oh, oh, what's going to happen to me and my family? What's gonna, what are they going to do to us? And you know what Pastor Nang says? You know what? I remember a day when he told me, he said, they told me if you don't stop preaching, he said that we will come and we will kill you. And he said, and for a minute I thought about not doing it. He said, but as I laid in my bed, he said, I laid in my bed one morning and all of a sudden I began to not be able to breathe. <gasps> and he said, and God reminded me, wait a minute, wait a minute, my breath comes from God. So what? What in the world did they, what, whatever they can do to me, God can do more. I will let every breath of mine be given to God. And if they want to put me in jail, there'll be people to preach to in jail. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us sing, yes, and for emphasis, the psalmist adds, let us make a joyful noise. Not just a dirge, not just a somber notes of the entrance of royalty, but the turbulent and jubilant tones of joy. Do you not remember Paul and Silas cast in the Philippian jail? They had been beaten. They had been mistreated. They were, there was injustice that was inflicted upon them, and there they were probably bleeding from the stripes that they had been laid down. But what did they do? Did they go, you know what, this isn't right, and I can't believe they've done this to us, and you know what, God must somehow be absent in my situation? No, it says, and Paul and Silas begin to pray and sing praises to God so that all the people in the prison heard them. And it sounds more like the psalm that was our call to worship today. I prayed and the earth began to tremble. I prayed and God became angry. I prayed and a storm came and lightning came and hailstones came down. And Paul and Silas, as they began to pray in the Philippian jail, the Bible says an earthquake came and shook the prison and they came out. How did they come out? They came out praising God. They weren't even ready to run for their lives, and they could have run for their life. But what did they do? They ran for the life of the jailer. We're not leaving. Don't worry, buddy. We're not leaving. We know you'd get killed if we left. We're not going to leave. And the jailer's like, well, what do I do to be saved? Here we got uh, the jailer wanting to be saved. We should be a singing joyful people in rapture with the love and honor of our God. It should trumpet out of us like water gushing forth from the split rock of Horeb. I say it that way because the psalmist intimates just what we see here at the end of verse 1. 
And since I know what's coming at the second half of the psalm, it makes all the more the proper imagery that the musician hoped to convey. He wanted us to be a rock. He wanted us to be issuing forth life as that rock did. You see, the rock of our salvation ties together nicely with where the psalm is going. You see, when you hear the rock of our salvation, you might be thinking about the rock on which you stand or one you build your house on so when the storm comes, um, it's going to stand firm. Indeed, it is that rock. But the, you might even be thinking about the stones that the builders rejected, but that's not what the songwriter intended for those who sang this tune in worship. He meant for them to remember Israel fresh out of Egypt in the wilderness of sin, parched as they were, thirsty and having nothing to drink. You can read about it as we heard in Exodus chapter 17. Here God had brought them out of slavery. Here God had brought them out of 400 years of bondage and mistreatment. And God had brought them and he's telling them, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to take you into a land that flows with milk and honey. I'm going to bless you and you're going to be your own nation. And as they were out there in the wilderness and they were out there, they got thirsty, Sister Benita. And you know what they did when they got thirsty? They forgot that God had a pillar of fire keeping them warm at night. They forgot that God had a cloud covering the sun. And they said, you know, I think God is not even with us. I think we may die of thirst out here. I think that it might have been better off if we just was back over there in Egypt. And I hear a story like that, Jonathan. I think, what in the world is wrong with these people? But I know what's wrong with them. You know why I know? Because it's the same thing that's wrong with me. It's the same thing that's wrong with you. It's the same thing the psalmist is warning us against in the second half of the psalm and what you heard the warning of in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 from Paul. Beware lest any of us find ourselves like them who God has richly provided for, who God has done good for, who God has set us free from the deceitfulness of sin, lest we fall into a heart of unbelief and we start doubting that God is there in our midst. And how do we do that? It's when we stop lifting up the name of the Lord, when we stop praising Him for His goodness, when we get our eyes on those that are around us in the circumstances and we begin to murmur and we begin to complain and we begin to grumble and we begin to doubt and we begin to falsely prophesy about a future that is coming. The Bible tells us that we do have a future coming and the future coming to us works like this. There is no weapon the world forms against us that will prosper. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God. That he that began and a good work in you will complete that work. That's the future that's coming. But the devil wants you to believe that there's another future coming for you of sadness and misery and woe and injustice and difficulty and abandonment. My God, oh, oh, would be that I just was still in Egypt. Folks, that's what we can do. Even though they doubted God, though, and this is what I love about the story, Brother Doug, even though they doubted God, even though they wanted to kill Moses, even though they grumbled and complained, guess what, Sister Julia? God sent water from a rock for them anyway. Isn't that our story? Instead of the story ending, and you know what, because they grumbled and they complained and they didn't do what was right, God let them stay thirsty in the wilderness. No. That's not what he did. God was still faithful to save them. You talk about the rock of salvation. None of you, none of us, I've never been to a place where I was so thirsty I thought I was going to die. Have you ever been that? Anybody been been that thirsty? Probably watching me drink water is making you thirsty. You probably have ever been. I cannot imagine being as thirsty as they were. 
I've been in that desert where they are, and that is the scariest, driest, most terrifying. You, you think you're going to die just being in there for an hour. And they were there for a long time. You go, well, that wouldn't be me. I'd be believing God. No, you wouldn't. You'd be just like them. Well, you know, uh, Jonathan, we, we, we've got little ones. And, and, and you know, we, 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 you know our, our kids, we've we, we got to have some water, Jonathan. I mean, did, you know, did God provide? I'm not saying that you'd be bad, Ashley, but you, you see what I'm saying? They had been saved from the Egyptians from hundreds of years of slavery, but here at Massa and Meribah, God saved them from what? From their own unbelief. Folks, that's our biggest enemy we have. You see, God has written our name in the Lamb's Book of Life. He's provided salvation for us that cannot be taken from us. It is preserved in heaven for us. It is kept by the power of God. He that began it in us is going to complete it. But what we can do is we can find ourselves not believing that it's true. And we'll miss out on a lot of good things here in this world. I don't believe the people that died in the wilderness went to hell. They just didn't go to the land of milk and honey. They just didn't get to live in a house. They didn't build. They didn't get to participate in, in drinking wine from a vineyard that they never made themselves. There, as they murmured against Moses so hotly, he believed they were about to stone him. God commanded him to take his staff and strike the rock in the presence of the elders. There, even though they doubted and faithlessly railed against God, the leader, he had given them, God still sent saving water to quench their thirst. Out of the rock came salvation for them. And for Moses, even though they chided against God. You see, this is the kind of saving we need. We are without strength. In due time, Christ died for us. The rock of our salvation sprang forth from us when he was smitten, right? You see, that's the imagery here. Christ was smitten like the rock. Now those who come unto him with deep spiritual thirsting will be satisfied and out of their bellies shall too flow rivers of living water. Did you ever wonder what that river of life was about, honey? The river of life, what it is about. It is about the rock of salvation that brings forth thirst-quenching waters of salvation for all of mankind. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. We're only in verse 1. <laughs> in verse 2, we hear a third call to action for God's people. Let us, hear the let us again. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto Him with the Psalms. We are invited into His special presence when two or three are gathered together in His name. We are not gathered in mere form and ritual before the face of a God, but, but we are before the face of a God who delights in His children. When we come, we are to come before Him with thanksgiving. Everybody say thanksgiving. This is why we begin every service standing to our feet, our hands outstretched to heaven, and we say, Come bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Why? It says, for God has done great things. God truly has done great and marvelous things. Yes, 
We still find ourselves in the desert wondering if God has abandoned us. But He covers our heads with a cloud and He warms us by night by the fire and He feeds us our daily bread. And as Psalm 136 echoes out, I hope it echoes out from your heart as well. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. Say it with me. For His mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of God. Say it with me, people of God. For His mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. For his mercy endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endureth forever. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And let us make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. We are to do this together when we gather it is to be a joyful, everybody say joyful. Some people are afraid of smiling and having joy in the house of God, but I don't think you can read the Psalms and feel okay with that. Because the Bible says not only sing a joyful song, but we should make a joyful noise. God writes the best songs. Everybody say God writes the best songs. And you know that's what those... 150 psalms are their God's songbook. That's why he says we should make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. We might not write a psalm about something we did bad, but they did. Psalm 51 is about how David sinned with Bathsheba and repented. This psalm is about how they should sing and be joyful, but children of Israel were not. They reminded how at Meribah and Massa, how they complained and they murmured. And God said, those people aren't going to make it in the promised land. And they sang that song too. You see, it's a joyful thing to remember that God keeps his promises. We're to do this together to be joyful in what we should do. God writes the best songs. I, I do believe that we are to sing new songs, of course. And I pray we never stop writing them, but his songs are the most magnificent. So the psalms should be where our heart cries out from. Verse 3 gives us a, 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 an answer to a question. Why should we do this? Like we need to know. For the Lord is great. Right, Jason? <laughs> the Lord is great. And he is a great king above all gods. There's none like him. All those that are called gods are not gods at all. He is God alone. Amen. He has no rival or competitor. And as king, he rules over all things. One day every knee will bow and every tongue confess him as king. And everyone will confess him to be Lord over all things. In his hand, it says, are the deep places of the earth and the strength of the hills are his. All things were made by him and without anything... All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's what it says in John chapter 1. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, the sea is his. And I love it. it it's his, and he made it. I like this. It doesn't just belong to him, Sister Joy. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. He doesn't just own it. He doesn't just rule it. He made it. He doesn't just own the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills too. Verse 6 brings us two more let us directives. 
oh, come. And don't miss the oh, come. You know, you, 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 if you look up in the Bible, these things, you know, you think maybe someone just put a little oh in there. Oh, no, there's a, there's a, there's a, the oh, come. It's a great invitation. You see, you can do a lot of things. People will invite you to come and hear the complaint. People will come, oh, let me tell you about this bad thing going on in my life. Oh, you know, whatever. But he's, oh, come. Oh, come. Oh, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. True worship is a full person, full-bodied experience. This is one way to worship God and to love Him with all of our hearts, with all of our minds and with our might, not just surrendering our minds and our intellects to Him, but giving our hands and our feet and our bodies as living sacrifices to God. I know we reverently kneel here in this church together on cue when it's time to confess our sins. I know we raise our hands together when we sing the doxology and when we enter into worship, but I wonder if you and I have really reached out in our hearts to Him as our hands have if we really knelt before him as our king, or if we love him and we, our love drives us to our knees and pulls our hands up heavenward, is there something inside of you that makes you just want to raise your hands to him? Is there something inside of you that when you think about his goodness, when you think about his mercy, that you want to get down on your knees and you want to say, oh God, you are great. You are mighty, Lord. Lord, I am not Lord. I am weak and I am lowly. Is there something inside you that does that? And if it doesn't, I would say that you don't understand who you're dealing with. God is great. And he is greatly to be praised. Later today, there will be screams of excitement for those playing a game on television. And for the record, I plan to be one of them. I don't normally do that. I don't normally watch a Super Bowl. I don't know, because there's filled with so many junk and whatever, but I'm thinking today I'm going, to wa- I'm going to scream and yell for the Bengals. What's wrong with you, Pastor Mark? Well, you know what? I think I'm relating a little bit with the world today. There'll be nothing wrong with that. I'm sure there will be involuntary explosions of exultation and adoration for good kicks and catches for timely first downs and touchdown runs. And there's nothing wrong with that, Jason. I don't know that we'll put it on the big screen here, but that's to be decided. But I wonder if we've gotten it backwards. As I read the Psalms, I feel a call to worship that looks more like David dancing in a way that made his wife embarrassed than how we've come to offer our love for God in this place. It seems the Psalms know something that we don't. And I'm certain praise will not be restrained in heaven. There'll be no uncertainty what our limits should be. We will cast our crowns at his feet. We will shout out without fear of what others will think. And we will find ourselves undone in his presence. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his wonderful acts for the children of men. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Isn't that what it says in the Psalms? Verse 7 tells us why, again, just in case we've already forgotten, for he is our God and we are his people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. 
now right here in the middle of verse 7, and I'm not sure why those who divided the psalm into verses did this, but right here in the middle of verse 7, we get to what we're not to do. And I don't want to spend a real long time on it because I'd rather be thinking about what we should be doing today. But I told you we would get to it. And if you want to understand it even better, I'd recommend reading Hebrews 3 and 4 again. He says today, everybody say today, if you'll hear his voice. Do you know God still speaks today? He's speaking today through this psalm and he's speaking to you. What is it that we're to hear? We're to hear that we're to sing. We're to worship. We're to praise his holy name. We're to bow down and we're to kneel and we're to sing unto the God, the rock of our salvation, the Lord of heaven. We're to make a joyful noise before the Lord. We're to come together with singing and praise. Today, if you will hear his voice, verse 8, harden not your heart as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. You see, we've been hearing what we should do, but now we're hearing what we often do instead. We could be singing with a unified body of Christ. We could be joyfully making a noise to the rock of our salvation, bowing down and kneeling before him. But instead, what do we do? We doubt, we complain, we become faithless, usurpatious. We even become murderous as Israel did in the early days after being called out of Egypt. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's funny about this story. This same story happens twice. You might even go, yeah, I thought I knew the story, but it, it sounds different than, than I remember it. Well, that's because there's two of these. You see, in the first year that Israel was brought out of Egypt, Sister Joy, this happened to them. But you know, Brother Jonathan, you know what it happened again? It happened in the 40th year, too. They find themselves not in the wilderness of sin, which is what it was called. This was not a typology. It was literally the name, the wilderness of sin. And in the 40th year, before they come into the, into the, the promised land, they find themselves in the wilderness of Zin, with a, with a Z. Different place. And guess what they did? They complained and they murmured. And this time, and you know what I was hoping I would see, Sister Jackie? I was hoping I would see a progressive sanctification. The first time, they complained and they murmured. And something good happened God brought forth water and now as they complain and murmured they would repent they had a second chance you know God gives us a chance to repent God was very angry with them he had brought them out of Egypt I mean could you imagine this could you imagine uh, delivering someone from slavery parting the Red Sea destroying the Egyptian army humiliating the Egyptians and providing them a pillar of fire to keep them warm at night and a pillar by the day to keep the sun off of them and them going, I don't really know if God's here. Could you imagine if you did that much for somebody and what they got out of it is you, you're, you're not going to do more? Wow. So they get a chance to repent, Jason, and in the 40th year, Moses and Aaron are now old, Miriam is dead, and they, here they go again. They're in the wilderness of Zin, and now they're thirsty. And they said, you know what? What did they do, Christina? They did the same thing. You know, and they start talking about going back to Egypt. 40, what in the war is wrong with these people? But you know what? I had expected something better to happen, but I'm reading the story. And it actually gets worse, Brother Chris. Because you know what? Moses joins right in. You know what? You bunch of heathens. 
He gets mad. He yells at them. He doesn't even do what God says. He gets so angry with them. He's like, oh yeah, I hope God gives you water, you bunch of rebels. And he yells at them. And instead of speaking to the rock, as he's told, he takes a stick and he starts whacking the rock. Moses doesn't go to the promised land. Aaron doesn't go to the promised land. And all these people that complained in the wilderness, they don't go to the promised land. They're all dead. They all die. And only Joshua and Caleb and those below a certain age ever make it in to the promised land. That doesn't sound like a happy story. It's not a happy story. It's our story, though. Because even after God saves us and he does good to us, we just seem to never learn. And what do we do? We spend our lives complaining and murmuring. We complain about the leaders God gives us. We complain about the church that we're in. We complain about our life and our situation and how we wish it could be better and how God must not be in it and how he isn't going to help us. And how, you know, that's what we do because we're sinners. But you know what God does? He sends us water from the rock. Verse 9, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and they saw my work. Forty years long I was grieved with this generation. And I said, it is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. You know, I think that we could be missing out on a lot of wonderful things that we could have if we could just be thankful. If we could just sing praise to the Lord. If we could just believe that he that began in our lives the wonderful thing that he has is going to complete it. How many of you want to not be faithless? Not be a murmuring complainer? Don't, how many of you do not want to be one of the people who die in the wilderness? I don't want to be. And if you think that it doesn't apply to you and I'm applying some Old Testament scripture to you that doesn't belong, then read Hebrews 3 and 4 because Paul goes, beware lest any of unbelief enter into your heart and you miss out on the good blessings of God as well. And in fact, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read to you the conclusions of the exposition of Psalm 95 by the writer of Hebrews. He says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in you any evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But I exhort you to one another daily while it is called today, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And I'll tell you something. I didn't read in any commentary, and I think it was neat, and I do believe it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 4.1 says, let us. Everybody say, let us. Do you know we've heard five let us's in Psalm chapter 95? Let us. Sing to the Lord, let us bow down, let us kneel, let us make a joyful noise before the rock of our salvation. Let us, right? Five of them. And so the writer of Hebrews, knowing well his Hebrew Bible, of course, begins Hebrews chapter 4. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left to us entering into his rest, and any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith of them that hear it. Hebrews 4.11, let us, say let us. See, these are things we can do, right? Let us therefore labor to enter into the rest, lest a man fall after the same example of unbelief. Everybody say, don't be like Israel. 
And I love what he, how he ends it, and I'll end my sermon with the way Paul ends his exposition of Psalm 95. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and the marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And I believe this is a call to remind us that God sees our heart. You might, you may put on a good face, but in your heart you may not believe God is going to provide for you. You may not be believe that God is going to be there when you call on His name. You may put a smile on your face and come to church and act like you believe that, but God discerns even your heart. Say, God, give me a heart full of faith. Give me a heart full of praise. Give me a heart full of thanksgiving. For the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, everybody say, let us. See, we're, we're back to the psalm. Let us hold fast our profession of faith. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but when all points was tempted like we are, yet without sin. And where it leads us and where this comes is we do have an advocate with the Father. And when we find ourselves faithless and when we find ourselves unbelieving and murmuring and complaining, we still have a God who brings salvation from the rock. But if we can ask God to fill our hearts with faith and singing and praise and thanksgiving, we can have a life in the promised land, a life of happiness and joy and prosperity. Amen? Amen. That's what Psalm 95 is calling us to today. A place of praise and thanksgiving and faith that God will be in our future as he has been in our past and he is in our present. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the power and the truth of your word. We thank you for the opportunity of repentance. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to lift up your holy name one more Lord's Day, to sing, Lord, from hearts that have been redeemed, that have been set free, that have been liberated from the slavery of sin. And, oh, God, may we come to you when we are thirsty. Lord, as you cried out, in John chapter 7, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. But you didn't stop there. You said, if we come to you, that out of our bellies shall flow rivers of living water. Lord, let us be that rock of salvation. Let us be the fountain, the wellspring of hope and faith for others and salvation. Help us, God, to be that for a lost and dying and thirsty world. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.